Hello, I am David Klajman from Fidelis. In partnership with IFA, the European Fundraising Association, welcome to the European Fundraising Podcast, a show where we discuss with some of our best European fundraisers how non-profit organizations can build long-term and deeper relationships with their donors. I receive today Charlotte Ridd, the president of IFA, the European Fundraising Association, and Jan Gregor, who is a fundraising consultant in the Czech Republic. I have invited them to share with us the 2022 Non-Profit Pulse Report, which is a report on fundraising in Europe, published early 2023, that gives trends about fundraising in Europe. It is very interesting to be able to compare views on fundraising from two different parts of Europe. That's why I have invited two guests today. And as I have its president with us, it's also a good way to understand more the IFA organization, its history, its main missions today, and how do we European fundraisers can learn to work better together. So let's listen to Charlotte Ridd and Jan Greger. Welcome everyone. Today I am welcoming Charlotte Reed, the president of IFA, the European Fundraising Association, and Jan Gregor, who is a fundraising consultant in the Czech Republic. Hello, Charlotte. Charlotte. Hello, Hel Jan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so I'm I'm very happy to have you both. So we are going to talk today about um, two, uh, the 22 non-profit pulse tracking change in Europe report. Uh, it's a report on fundraising in Europe, published um, in uh, early this year, uh, that gives us insight and trends about fundraising in Europe. But we are also going to talk about uh, IFA, uh, it, its uh, history and its main mission uh, today. And of course, we will talk about fundraising in general. Uh, and it's great to have you, Jan, because uh, uh, you can give us uh, insight about uh, NGOs in, in Eastern Europe too. But uh, before we dive into those topics, uh, could you tell us a bit more about uh, you know, who you are both and how you end up in this uh, uh, funny fundraising world? Uh, maybe, Charlotte, you, you can go first? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, actually, it was somewhat accidental. Uh, but uh, looking back, having worked with fundraising or within the fundraising industry for more than uh, 25, close to 30 years, Uh, it, it wasn't maybe that surprising, but I actually started in 97 uh, as alumni relations and fundraising manager at the Stockholm School of Economics, which was my alma mater. And at that time in Sweden, um, fundraising was not very well developed at all and definitely not within universities. And it was pretty much um, just a coincidence that I was contacted for that job. And having had some difficulties really knowing what I wanted to do, that sort of, uh, when I got that job, things sort of came together. And then a few years later, at the, um, well, 1999, I then really found my area within fundraising, which is major gifts. So I started working for um, a consultancy company and started working as a campaign director for a university in Sweden. So when I found major gift fundraising, that's really when I realized this is what I want to work with. So that's what I've been doing for most of my career, uh, but for the past six years, I've been the CEO for the Swedish Fundraising Association, which means that, of course, I don't fundraise personally that much anymore. But on the other hand, I do get to work with fundraising all the time, which I really, really enjoy. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and can you just say a few, a few words about the Swedish uh, Fundraising Association? What a, I mean, in every country, we have this kind of association i think but uh, does it how does it work in 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 sweden uh, how many ngos are there uh, is it uh, yeah. no can you tell about the yeah. swedish uh, ngo market <laughs> basically yeah so so the swedish fundraising association we turned 30 years in uh, 2021 and we organize organizations so non-profits or ngos are members with us so we have a Uh, slightly above 180 now. We have five new members coming in in, in just a week. So we're, we're um, actually um, growing quite extensively right at the moment. 
And we then, of course, work with them, both with quality assurance, governance, issues like that. That's more on a management level. And then we work with training, statistics, um, competence, research, etc., uh, which is more directed to the actual employers within um, yeah. within the organization. So, um, so we and then we work with um, you know um, policy issues, etc. So, for us, um, well, this is. Um, um, I would say that having seen the past 10 years in Sweden, the development of fundraising, I think we play a much greater role now than we did um, only a few years ago. So that's that's how we are. And, I th- and in Sweden, also some other countries, there are several associations, you know, some organized individuals, some organized organizations. But currently in Sweden, it's just us. Okay. Uh, and, and you said you, you, you miss a bit fundraising uh, in direct. I mean, uh, was it... Uh... Uh, you, I mean, less stressful to be not not having to have an objective on, on your own fundraising, or or, or no, you you oh. you miss a bit the the energy of uh, being a fundraiser yourself and going to you know, fight for your own NGO. No, I mean, I in a way where the way we work now. I mean, when it comes to uh, raising funds, I mean, we we have to make sure our members are happy because the main income comes from membership fees. But then we also work quite a lot with different or, um, companies and, and other um, organizations that we engage uh, to be partners uh, or to partner with us for different um, uh, trainings and, and um, events, etc. So in a way, you know, I'm still working with, in a way, fundraising, but it's more sales, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm not, I, I, I think for me, Working with fundraising is not about, you know, um, getting the money in or, or you know, working with um, uh, with selling in a way. It's more about um, working towards a, a mission and having getting people on board towards that mission. And then if they then can also contribute money. So fundraising for me is much more about really the relationship building and and mission driven than uh, financially. I'm I'm not I'm not triggered by financial goals. That doesn't help me at all. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's the the best way. Some some people are uh, are triggered by objective and goals and 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 going towards this. uh, And 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 you're right. I mean, everybody has his own uh, objective and and uh, yeah, mission driven and just putting people abroad uh, on board is um, mm-hmm. is also great to make you <laughs> work up in the morning um okay uh, and Jan, um, uh, on your side can you, can you tell us um, uh, how you end up in in fundraising yes of course uh, and i Charlotte, i really love uh, this uh, last mention about uh, what really fundraising is and it's about more about to be mission driven and that's also a question why I'm not doing fundraising directly a couple of years, but still I feel like a fundraiser because I think it's about about excitement of people for, for your mission more than, than winning money. But that's the end of my uh, professional story, actually, or or, or question of nowadays. Uh, if I remember well, my, my first experience with, with uh, fundraising was quite direct. It was... Uh, approximately 2004 and my friend came to me and and he he told me oh i i know about one great job you will (laughs) you will have a great salary and it's quite easy job so uh, that's how i started to be a fundraiser and this job was a street fundraising in face-to-face campaign of friends of the earth czech republic so it was definitely not easy and it was definitely not for a good salary but i loved it (laughs) And um, friends of the Earth. So it was it was an organization uh, um, uh, about, uh, of course, uh, ecological organization. And so you were a fundraiser in the street. In what city was it? In the... you know, I think street fundraising is the best way how to start to be a fundraiser. Uh, all yeah. these face to face and door to door methods are are really great because uh, you know you you must go out on the limb uh, if I. Uh, say it uh, uh, right way and 
I think that's great. It's not necessary to be a really good uh, seller or it, it's really not because uh, in my natural way, I am introvert and it was quite hard to be at streets and really speak with the people. But the first experience is, is really great because you have only a limited time to, to explain what you really want to explain. And finally, you, you just figure out that it's not about explaining. It's really about excitement. So... It's enough. So you were, and you were doing door to door in the streets or no, and in the streets. No, uh, door to door method was not not uh, running very good in, in the Czech Republic all, all the day till nowadays. But face to face was quite uh, quite good, uh, especially in the first decade and and partly in in the second decade. Yeah, but after Friends of the Earth, I was quite ten uh, years or something like that in there. Uh, It was, I think, 2015, and I realized, uh, I think it was partly because of uh, uh, participating Leaders of Tomorrow program, which is a great leadership program in, in Bratislava, in, in Slovak Republic. I realized that I'm more excited in, than in fundraising, than in the fundraising as a profession. And I was already leading uh, the network of uh, Czech fundraisers called Coalition for Easy Giving, and... Yes, I found that this is the way uh, how I want to contribute to the fundraising uh, in the Czech Republic. And I'm doing it till nowadays. It's true that till uh, 2000, uh, uh, or till last year, I, I um, stepped out of the director of uh, the Coalition for Easy Giving, but I'm still the external cooperator. And I'm more involved in another organization, also uh, involved in non-profit sector in the Czech Republic. But not only. So, so, so today you you help a different organization in uh, yeah. what yeah. kind my of mission, field in in fundraising? Yeah, my mission nowadays is broader than than only fundraising, but the fundraising is still the center of it. So we are in our organization, which is called the World of Nonprofit. We are combining e-magazine and typical service organization, so also workshops, accelerators, you know, consulting. And the Esther conference, which will be the first and second June of this year in Prague. But still we are fundraising using as a key in the organization because uh, when we start with fundraising in organization, we are opening things like personal things, uh, organization culture, communication in general, leadership, etc. etc. Okay. Okay, okay. Um, okay, great. Well, first maybe I would like to uh, say... Uh, Uh, a few words about IFA uh, because we have the chance uh, of having uh, its president, uh, and so and it's good that uh, everybody knows a bit more about uh, IFA and what its main uh, missions uh, are. So maybe um, uh, Charlotte, you've been president for a year and a half now. So uh, I think uh, <laughs> you're the best person to explain us all this. So could, could you tell us maybe uh, you know a few facts about IFA? When when was it crea created, for example, and And then we go. Mm -hmm. We'll go in, into the missions. Yeah, absolutely. Now, IFA uh, turned 20 years last year. So, in 2022, we um, celebrated uh, at our um, General Assembly and Skillshare in uh, Dublin. So, IFA was created so in early 2000 as a way to gather um, national associations of fundraising across Europe. And initially, I think there was about maybe eight eight organizations, eight countries that got together. Uh, and the aim of IFA is to focus on professionalism in fundraising. That fundraising is, uh, it's not about begging. It's not about, um, um, you know, how do you say it? it it's to, to really strengthen fundraising as a profession, but also make sure that when needed, we can come together across Europe to um, speak and talk about issues that are important for all of Europe. And this has become, I mean, even though, I mean, of course we have members that are not members of, of the European Union, but a lot of things are decided in Brussels that will affect all of us across Europe. And uh, a lot of times um, the effects or consequences of decisions for fundraising is not um, uh, perceived or, or Maybe non-intentionally, things are, um, um, you know, affecting fundraising or or civil society organizations, and and that is not um, uh, 
uh, nobody else is, is, you know, talking about that apart from us. So Aoife, I would say, started out as a, a network of people that have gotten to know each other um, uh, through their work in Europe and fundraising. And then I would say that over the past 20 years, we are now um, becoming more and more a broader network of organizations that um, believe in fundraising and, be and believe in the strength and professionalization of it. Um, and this means that we now also invite not only national associations to become members, but organizations that work on a national level to promote fundraising and philanthropy are welcome to join. Okay, because, and we because have, the, hmm? the, uh, sorry, the, the members, um, it's important to precise. So the members are, are organization, it's not individuals. Uh, the, you can't, uh, as an individual, be uh, you know, subscribed to, to IFA. You have to be an organization already in the non-profit area in yes, your own country. That's right, yes. So you have to be a national, some sort of national organization in, in your in your own country. However, then, of course, our members have individual members. <laughs> so yeah. and, and that's so important, because if, if we if we don't reach out to the community of fundraisers, of managers of, of you know, leadership within uh, civil society organizations in Europe, we won't make any change anyway. So 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 absolutely. I mean, if you're. If you're an individual fundraiser or if you're working for a nonprofit organization in Europe, EFA is, is a source for, for knowledge and for, um, uh, you know, sharing among uh, European countries. And when we look at what's the focus of EFA now, we really, uh, well, we continue the work we've done, but we also see that, um, that fundraising as a profession has uh, grown throughout Europe. Of course, it's different in different countries. But when IFA started 20 years ago, um, you, you, in many countries, you didn't even have fundraising as a profession. So that is really still our, our important focus to strengthen professional fundraising. And we do that both through uh, a certification uh, for fundraising uh, training that uh, we hope can support, support the recruitment of really good fundraisers and also um, help fundraisers to have a strategic approach to funding. But then, of course, again, our our voice in Europe and in, in Brussels is important for us. And then we also want to be that sort of data hub of statistics and knowledge. So we will talk about one of the reports we're doing. So that's, you know, one way for us to do that. And then one issue that we share with with you know many um, umbrella organizations in Europe is how do we achieve sustainable funding for nonprofits? Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, so if I works, we try to work in a lot of areas, but the main focus is the fundraising perspective. So that's different from other organizations in Europe. Okay, so so today, uh, how many uh, uh, members or yeah, organization members do you, you have? Just to have an idea. Yeah, we have a. a Twenty-three. If I'm uh, updated, uh, we also have um, representing eighteen countries, and okay. we just recently actually welcomed uh, one of uh, of the French organizations, Generosity, uh, and then we had the Denmark joined recently. So that's great. Okay, okay. So, so uh, it was uh, at the beginning more maybe in, in Western Europe are, are the English uh, the one who I mean uh, we always hear that uh, fundraising in, in in England is a bit uh, uh, more structured now, or maybe it's an idea I have. And then it 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 was in Western Europe, and and then more and more it's uh, and Jan is here to <laughs> prove it. It's uh, now all across Europe. Uh, you have members all across Europe. What well, what are your yeah your your development goals uh, is to to what what country are not in IFA? I mean, you still have some countries that are not uh, uh, part of IFA. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. We have several countries in Eastern Europe that aren't partners or part of IFA yet. Yet we don't have, for example, in Portugal, we don't have a member yet. We don't have in Greece. Okay. Uh, we so so of course there are a number of countries uh, that aren't represented, and we hope to to find partners there. But I would say that. I think it was interesting when IFA started that it wasn't necessary. It wasn't driven by the Anglo-Saxon countries. Uh, it okay. was driven by actually, I mean, Sweden was part of it, um, Germany, Austria, 
of course, the UK. But it, it, interestingly enough, I think it was more of a Central European <laughs> group okay. of countries that started. Um, and, and please, John, <coughs> um, I think I, really what I thought when I came into IFA, what really uh, gave me inspiration was the that it wasn't just Anglo-Saxon, well, Anglo-Saxon, we only have two, the UK and Ireland, <laughs> but it's the mix of countries and that um, even though, I mean, today fundraising is being performed professionally all across Europe. And, and the value of IFA is that we get that sort of learning from each other and understanding also that, you know, what, what, what how it works in the Czech Republic is different from Germany because we have different laws, we have different cultural circumstances. You know, there are lots of things that are different, but when it comes to, to making fundraisers professional in their work, that's where we all can come together. So, uh, yeah, so Jan, they, yeah. I really yeah. have appreciated learning uh, from you and from the others. Yeah, yeah, because generosity is is, is maybe a, uh, what you dis discovered is the 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 triggers of of generosity is roughly the same, or there's a lot of as you say the laws can be different, but why people give uh, there's a lot of similarities between um, countries uh, everywhere in the world. So so mm -hmm. there are many things to be shared between uh, different uh, European countries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, and, if, if I can uh, add to this. Uh, IFA is showing us uh, also the similarities. So especially Germany and Czech Republic, uh, uh, both of us, uh, we are also part of the, of the board uh, of IFA. And sometimes we are understanding the, together more than, than other countries, you know, in, in personal. And I don't think it's only personal thing because of me, me and Larissa uh, from Germany. Uh, but, you know, we are neighbors. And it's it's showing us two things uh, that sometimes uh, the dividing Western and Eastern Europe it's not working actually we have differences but we have also in the basics similarities but uh, also IFA shows us that it's not about Eastern and Western but it's also about South and Nordic countries mm -hmm. and I you know I, I see these differences many times and it also our research showed this that that uh, the southern countries are sometimes uh, face similar things like we in uh, our eastern part of Europe and etc there are many many of examples of of this so it's I, I think much more about similarities and it's how how EFI is connecting us and yeah I love it Okay, um, um, and then there's, there's the um, the certification part is is very important, uh, Charlotte, as you said. C can you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, so basically, yeah, we can understand that a part of our regulation is is done in Brussels now, or I mean, started in Brussels. So uh, uh, knowing what's happening in Brussels is very important, and and making the voice of fundraisers or NGOs heard over there is very important. So. Can you tell us how it works and maybe if you have examples of, of mm -hmm. uh, things you are checking and, and following for us? Mm -hmm. I would, if we start with certification, I was on the um, chair of the certification committee before I um, became um, president of the EFA board. But, uh, and, 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 and the purpose of the certification, which actually was developed in 2007 with, the, with funding from the EU, uh, the purpose of the certification program is to have a standard that is similar across Europe that, you know, a number of modules or a number of training components that a good fundraiser should uh, know about and should have learned. And that's everything from, you know, fundraising methods to strategic planning to budget to follow up to communication, etc. Now, saying that, like we talked about, there are differences between the countries. It's not that we say, you know, this is the program. This is how you have to teach fundraising. What we're saying is, here's a framework for teaching fundraising, and you adapt it to what's relevant in your country. But what IFA does is to say, there are a number of building blocks to become a really good and professional fundraiser. So that's why we are uh, running the certification is to provide this framework. And we now have it on a, it was a regular or, or standard level and on an advanced level. And the advanced level is set up to now meet the needs 
of fundraisers becoming more and more professional and also becoming more and more stepping into leadership roles. So, so the certification is really something that is um, a tool to uh, support the professional development of fundraisers in Europe. Then when we come to the voice that IFA wants to be in Brussels or within EU. So, so j j just before, yeah. the, the, on the certification, so you don't deliver yourself, um, IFA doesn't do trainings? Is it something you, you are thinking about one day? I, I think that it, the, 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 the idea of a certification is that IFA is the certifying organization. Uh, I, I don't think at the moment, at least, that we should be doing our own programs. Maybe sometime in the future, you never know. But I, the whole, whole idea is that it, it is a framework that is similar across Europe. And which is also, of course, you know, built on latest uh, develop, latest research or what's, you know, what's tra what training methods, etc. Um, but the, the purpose of EFA, again, is only to certify because we want to make sure that each country sort of adapt the program according to each country's, you know, special uh, regulations or special ways of doing fundraising or whatever. However, um, the the important thing with the certification which we still have to work on and need to develop is that of course in, in in a vision would be that that certification is recognized across europe so if you're certified in sweden with the efa certification and then you apply for a job in germany and they say oh you have the efa certification great i mean then they know that you're you have a basic framework of fundraising knowledge that they can trust so so that would be a vision of the certification okay um okay okay we, we, uh, i understood and 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 so then after you 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 were starting to explain the regulation part mm -hmm. so uh, mm -hmm. what's happening in brussels so uh same can you give us an example and i know you have a someone working over there that you work closely with how does it work mm -hmm. um, in brussels and how, how are you part of it I would say that uh, we do what we can uh, with the resources we have at the moment, but also that's one of the ambitions of, of the board is to to um, strengthen the work we do in Brussels. Currently, we can do it um, in, in, I would say, three different ways. One is that we have a board member who is responsible for public affairs, and she is uh, from Italy, and she's also um, gathering what we call a public affairs working group. So together with representatives from our members, currently from the Netherlands, Finland, and France, we have a working group that meet, well, a few times a year to discuss what are the current issues in Brussels and who within the working group has most um, knowledge or maybe, you know, even work with it on a daily basis within their own job. How, how, can, we, how can we come together and, and you know, put forward IFA uh, um, uh, perspectives um, in Brussels. The second uh, tool we have is that we do work with a consultant in Brussels who is, I would say, uh, since we don't have a representation ourselves in Brussels, he is sort of there and can let us know now what's happening within the, um, uh, within the decision-making process in, in different issues. Um, and, and help us also to react to that. And then the third part is that we do work within networks of other um, umbrella organizations. So it can be uh, within, for example, um, VAT issues. There's one group. We can work together when it comes to um, uh, lottery and gaming, or when it comes to uh, door drops or e-privacy issues. So, so we do try to find ways to work together with others because yeah. FIFA is still a quite small uh, umbrella organization. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of big topics. Uh, uh, I know, for example, the ability to call donors uh, is, is something that uh, has been discussed in every country. Like you said, the, the, all the, um, the privacy regulation can impact uh, a lot uh, the marketing mm -hmm. of, of, of NGOs. Yeah. So this is 
basically you have to be aware of what's happening first uh, oh, there's mm -hmm. a, a text uh, being uh, discussed on this first it's, it's first a job to be aware and then to mm -hmm. be able to influence um, or to make uh, the, the voice of fundraisers uh, heard so how do you do this you you, you write letters to uh, mm -hmm. to to the to to I don't know who <laughs> how does it work yeah. do you have an example of how you can yeah. act this is what I, this is where we go together with others so so when it comes for example to privacy regulation then we together with other organizations uh, can you know write joint letters sometimes yeah. we do it together with commercial actors because they have you know we ha we have similar interests sometimes we do it by ourselves because uh, we have special issues we want to raise and we don't want maybe to in every question liaise with with the pro, uh, for profit, um, but one thing that we would like to develop more, and that's why we have this working group, is to um, provide our members, the EFA members, with you know this is um, now let's say now um, EU will uh, move forward with the e-privacy regulation. We this is what you can do in your country. Because a lot of times the challenge is that we have um, the different countries in Europe um, push in different ways for regulations, for example. So some countries are much stricter uh, when it comes to privacy than others. And if, if we as, you know, if we can have our EFA members in that specific country talk to their um, politicians and say, you know, this if we go forward with this regulation on the EU level, it will impact nonprofits negatively. Uh, so we need, you know, the next step for us is to, to help our members uh, influence and do their public affairs work in their countries to a much greater extent. Because to get through at, at the European level, um, that's quite hard. <laughs> so we yeah, need to, yeah. you know, get going on, on the individual country level first. Yeah, yeah, and, and and we understand it can be very you know, big topics, and and you, you you're not a huge organization uh, yet. I mean, like you said, it's uh, it's not a, it's quite new. Uh, Ifa is uh, is growing. Uh, can you can you tell us a bit bit more how it's uh, financed, uh, Ifa, uh, and what are the ambitions of of uh, are you planning to grow to have more people? And we understand there's so many subjects you can tackle. Uh, how do you see the development of Ifa? Mm -hmm. We are, are primarily funded by uh, membership fees. So every member within the organization pays a fee. And then also the certification program uh, involves a fee. So if you're certifying in, in a, a training program in your country, you pay a fee for that. Okay. So those are the two major <clears throat> in, uh, income streams where the membership fee is the biggest one. Then we also do <clears throat> uh, have some partnerships. <clears throat> so we work like we will talk about with the Salesforce, for example, with the study, we do look at other partnerships where we would like to see a combination of, you know, supporting EFA on a European level, but also getting, um, you know, advantages or, or, you know, help out our individual members in different ways. So that's how we're funded today. And our challenge is that we see that EFA can play a much bigger role on the European level than we can currently do because our funding is limited. So one of the things the board is really looking at is how do we increase our funding so we could um, staff EFA um, better, because now we only have a uh, executive um, officer who is very helpful in doing all the administrative work and all that. But uh, we would like to see a bit stronger um, staffing in the future, because that way we could be that voice um, much more uh, intensively than we can do now. So that's our ambition for the future. Maybe um, uh, one last question before we, we go into the report is uh, uh, about the, the, the other European uh, entities around fundraising, like IFC, because uh, uh, well, uh, people maybe uh, uh, are mixing a bit uh, who, who is who. who, is who. Uh, can, can you just maybe tell us about the, the other big uh, European organization around uh, fundraising or NGOs, and why are they different? Uh, can you, well, you know, IFC and Filia is the two I have in mind. Uh, can you explain yeah. the, who they are? 
I would say that, I mean, Filea is, is one of the organizations that we do work with at times because they are very strong, um, has a strong position in Europe, but their focus is more on the donor side. <clears throat> They're looking at, um, well, philanthropy more than fundraising. So, um, yep. but of course we, you know, at, Quite often we are looking at at the same issues, so that's very helpful because they're a strong they are a strong organization. Now IFC is a you know it's a it's an incorporated organization that does uh, training and uh, among other things a, a big conference in in the Netherlands uh, and we do work with them uh, not necessarily on a you know a um, regular basis but we do both have the ambition of um, professionalizing. Um, in a way, fundraising. Um, so we do work with them at times. Uh, we do work with uh, CFRE, which is not a European organization, but an international certification program for individuals uh, when it comes to to certifying their knowledge in fundraising. Okay. Um, and then actually we, we do work, I would say also with, I, I would put it this way, there there aren't that many organizations that work with fundraising or funding on a European level, but there are, of course, uh, other organizations that work with, you know, nonprofits um, in different ways. But um, yeah. So, okay. So. okay, okay. I see that there, there are a few and not that, that many. And uh, basically, uh, each organization has a different uh, uh, goals and, 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 well, uh, like you said, uh, uh, and Filia just, just, Filia is, is, is a, who is uh, is is it the same uh, Europe at European level and and it's uh, uh, financed by um, by uh, European funds, Filia? I think I, I don't know actually. I think Filia is funded by uh, by by its members and and by you know different income streams. So I mean they're a big okay. organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe they're, they're they're big. Big. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. um, okay. So let, let's let's talk about the the report and 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 more. Uh, well, about the, the current situation of uh, fundraising in, in, in Europe uh, now in, in 2023. Um, oh, well, who, who maybe can, can start with uh, uh, explaining the goal of the report uh, just to, to understand why, why it's, it's done and, and since when and uh, why, why do you do it? Now, I'll just, um, so the report uh, started, uh, this is the third report. We started this uh, partnership with Salesforce during the pandemic because both uh, we and they were interested in learning more about how the pandemic affected nonprofits. And when we talk about this report and the, the type of questions that are asked, it's not just about fundraising, that's one part of it, but there's always also a part that is more general about how uh, what is the situation for nonprofits uh, and you know the services, etc. They do uh, generally, and and the the common theme in these reports are of course what's happening with fundraising and what you know what um, decisions uh, has fundraisers done when it comes to um, choices, um, you know, both of, of ways of fundraising. But also what they see challenges coming or what kind of, of um, opportunities are there. So this report is a way for us to, to, to get a better understanding of the fundraising landscape across Europe. Um, yes. Okay. Jan, you want to add to, to this? Um, um, it, it, it's been the third report, I know. It, it's also interesting to see the evolution of the of uh, the report because one of the points is to see how fundraising is uh, is changing from one one year to the other uh, maybe in 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 the Czech Republic Jan um, can you tell us about the situation of uh, fundraising uh, or NGOs how, how do you see it uh, evolving now uh, you know mm, reports like uh, our it's are very important for me and I, I deeply believe that uh, for others, not only for the numbers for the specific year, but because of the context or uh, how is it developed uh, between the years. And especially those uh, full of crisis years uh, are is very crucial to, to really look around what's happening uh, in the context. 
so not only what's happening in the Czech Republic, but also what's happening in, in, in other countries. Uh, as we shared the results of this uh, report and also as we shared some, some uh, information between, between a couple of our members in, in person way, uh, we realized that, uh, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, to, um, to feel this uh, very depressive, but, you know, no one knows what will happen. And it's quite nice uh, knowledge itself because it's so changing environment nowadays that uh, it's very important to describe what's happening now to more understand what can happen in the future. And what what have we described in the Czech Republic, but not only in the Czech Republic, but uh, because of this this report in whole Europe, that we are, you know, uh, we are um, seeing. Uh, Quite interesting combination, not only of the pressure on our resources in non-profit sector, but also increasing demand on our work. And you know, it's a racket. It's not a racket science. When something goes wrong, it's increasing demand on uh, on the non-profit sector. But sometimes it makes feelings in non-profit sector. It is not enough resources for it. But we still have plenty of resources, and also philanthropy is quite rising still. Uh, despite the, the rising economic crisis or its stag- in, in stagnation, but still it's not decreasing very much. What's what's more important is the pressure on the resources because it's increasing our demand on our work. So, especially in the Czech Republic, we see the same feelings like uh, in other parts. That means, uh, yes, we must manage the quite uh, difficult, you know, um, workload. We are exhausted, actually. Many of yeah, people. Things. You mean pe- people working in NGOs or yes. in fundraising, yes. but not only. Uh, you think that the yeah the pressure on their shoulder yes. is 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 more and more. Uh, and so pressure, you see, uh, you know, this yeah. pressure is not only uh, because of increasing this job, but if you remember, approximately 2015, when so-called migration crisis started. Uh, there started to be problems all across the Europe, decreasing public trust in NGOs. And we were afraid very much that how it will affect the philanthropy in our countries. But what was interesting, and it's still we are struggling until nowadays, the more effect than on the philanthropy in, in, in our countries, it has on employees in non-profit sector. And especially in, in we feel it in the Czech Republic. We don't feel it like so exclusive like the years before. So I think this crisis are very similar. It has effects on our employees, our internal organization cultures. So maybe the challenges will be more internal than in, in external. So more in staff, uh, you know, managing workload, recruitment, uh, well-being of, of our staff, and maybe also some, I don't know, ways uh, re- more retention than acquisition because of, uh, uh, in, in the sense of building relationship with, with our donors. But for me, I think, and especially in the Czech Republic, what I'm observing are really priority the internal factors, like how, what staff have we, and is it really feel good, and is this job really, uh, you know, um, self self filling. Yeah. Okay. And this is something that is in different countries. I mean, in all, uh, uh, in all the reports shows that it's uh, effectively in, 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 in all the countries, there has been this increased pressure on, on employees and retaining, uh, employees in the, uh, uh, fundraising sector is now, oh, it's, it's a key factor for developing the NGO. Um, uh, Charlotte, you, you also have this feeling in, what you have seen? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I thought it was interesting when we got the report to see, you know, that uh, both um, retention of staff and also um, uh, uh, what do you say, um, managing uh, workload was such high on the uh, on on the list. Um, and and I was then thinking, you know, what is it like in Sweden? Because that's why I think it's so interesting with these reports that you can you can see some sort of aggregated data from all of Europe, and then you can sort of 
look at your own country and say, you know, is it similar, isn't it? And and I would say that it, I, 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 firstly, I thought, hmm, it's not the same in Sweden because I hadn't really heard that so much from our members. But looking at it now, um, I would agree that many organizations now do, I mean, we do have the same um, difficulties in, in both recruiting and retaining staff, but also that the workload uh, all over, I mean, not just for fundraisers, but across nonprofits has, has become even tougher because now um, there is a much greater worry than it was half a year ago about uh, continued funding. And, it, and, and from a Swedish perspective, it's both continued public funding because we have a changes um, within the government here. But of course, with, with the economic downturn, um, there is a, a worry of that, you know, that the donations will decrease from the broad or from the general public. And so far, um, we have not seen it yet in Sweden. We haven't seen a decrease in giving, we, we see a stagnation or, you know, it, it's sort of standing still. So we're, we're following that very closely now, but our impression in Sweden is that this worry <laughs> that it will decrease is also creating some extra stress uh, on both staff and leadership. And I think it's important then that we all, well, well at least for us in Sweden, it's important that we always go back to the figures and not just to our feelings to really say, is it decreasing? If we can't see that, then we can't worry about it because that will increase our, our stress and it will, you know, so we, you will get into a really negative circle. So, so I really think that, you know, to, to really value data <laughs> and, and as a fundraiser listening to this pod, I mean, also value data in your organization yeah, you know, what does the data say? How do you, how can you follow? Is it really decreasing or what's happening with your donors? I think that is so important. And if, if we can contribute to, to the fundraising community, basing much more of our decisions on facts and not on feelings, I think we have contributed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a good way. And like you say, when we, we are afraid of the future, maybe for the managers or, uh, it, it has an impact, as we said, on the on the staff. Maybe when we say this, we we, we have to be careful. Uh, what you both say is that we have to be careful when we communicate because, uh, okay, we are allowed to be uh, uh, scared or you know, afraid of the future of uh, is it going to be decreased. But don't forget the effect on your staff uh, because uh, the pressure is, it goes up, and at the end you lose your staff because they they. I mean, it's, it's too much pressure for. Mm. Um, for the working there. Um, okay, uh, on on the maybe on the marketing side, uh, uh, well, are NGOs uh, investing enough on 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 marketing and fundraising? Uh, well, do do you have you know, insights on 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 this part? Uh, that's an interesting question. If they are investing enough, uh, yeah, you don't know. <laughs> Uh, in general, I can say uh, they don't. They should more, but you know, it's it's a very open question. <laughs> I, I I mean, I if I looking at the report, I mean, it it was about thirty percent that said they're investing more in fundraising, communications, and marketing. If that's enough, I don't know. But I I think, and again, this would be from a Swedish perspective or context, is that. What what I think is happening now, when people get worried about future income, they decrease their investments or at least not increase them in in because they're worried, you know, we will we won't get the payback. And I think again, we have to be very careful because as soon as you start decreasing your investments, you will definitely decrease your income. And I think this is coming back to you know, the, the role of EFA in the European fundraising community is to, to you know, uh, contribute to build um, resilience so that, you know, so that managers and fundraisers can actually stand up and say, you know, if we, if, if, if we have, um, you know, if we invest 
uh, we know that we will succeed on these and these uh, parameters and therefore we will increase the, the giving because I think that's, that's a, a natural reaction for many of us is that when we get worried, uh, we decrease the investment, but I think it's important now to actually um, definitely increase it for many organizations. And, and um, there's, a, there's a difference between big and, and small organization because uh, big mm -hmm. organizations have the, the data to follow this or have the, the, yeah. they know that uh, investing in, in, in fundraising is, is going to pay off in one year, two years, three years. In small organizations, mm -hmm. they may not have this knowledge or because... They, they can't be everywhere. So do you see this, this difference between big and small? Well, I start and then Jan can continue. Of course, I mean, that's the whole challenge for, for all of us is to how do you get the smaller organizations in your country to grow because they, they have limited funds and often limited uh, competence or resources also when it comes to staffing. Um, and what I think, though, but now again, this is based on a, on a country like Sweden, where we have a very high digital capacity or knowledge and usage, is that many smaller organizations are really good at, um, you know, using the digital communication tools and payment systems to do smaller trials, you know, you test, and yep. then you actually, you can evaluate quite quickly, did this work? Yes, it did or it didn't. And then you can, you know, continue uh, on the route that is working. Uh, but I think it also comes back to that a small organization, you need to have the competence and capacity to, to do those evaluations and strategic decisions. Because, it, I mean, since I work with Made to Gifts, uh, I think that for a small organization, it's more valuable to invest in Made to Gifts. But, of course, the challenge is that it won't pay back within the next six months. <laughs> it might take a year. Yeah. Um, so you need to have that, um, what do you say, um, um, you need to be a bit brave, but you also need to have that fund or those funds. So, so definitely for smaller organizations, this the current situation is more challenging. Uh, and I think then it is so important that if you're a fundraiser in a small organization, to take the time and, and again, gather the data and gather the examples that you can show your boss or your or the leadership so but john what do you say yeah. i mean you've been working quite a lot with with other methods of fundraising yeah of course uh of course when uh, you make a research only in the segment of ngos which are i don't know minus five uh, full-time employee uh, you will get absolutely different results than when you make uh, a combination uh or any representative piece of of, uh, of uh, NGO sector. And yes, they are struggling with absolutely different uh, challenges because of uh, camps. I think it's, hmm, as if I will say, uh, the situation in the Czech and partly in Slovak Republic, it's more about know-how, you know? It's not about that they, because they don't need so much money. <laughs> they are smaller ones. So in their point of view, if uh, the environment around them is changing or not, if is uh, if they ha can achieve the donors or if they don't, if the tr trouble is on their side on 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 in culture side uh, outside them, it's more about their know how and ability to do fundraising. And yes, it's it's hard with uh, when we are working with the smaller organizations. But it doesn't mean that the middle organizations don't doesn't struggle with uh, those problems. There are also plenty of them uh, who, ha which has the the income from subsidiaries, and actually the fundraising is totally new for them. And if you ask them for for uh, if they can be participate for of uh, some research, they will say absolutely different things than than other than other NGOs. So that that's why I'm happy that in our our research, the, they are not only one. There is only not only one area of of the uh, you know uh, uh, how how the organizations are big because it must be uh, broader when you do research like this. But yes, it can be interesting to, to do it, especially in the segment of, of only in the smaller ones. 
But sometimes when we when we have it in in our trainings, or uh, and then we see that they are only the small ones there, we are asking them, uh, and yes, it's quite interesting what they are telling to us. And, and all the time, is it about know how and about uh, uh, staff that they don't have mm. someone to do it mm. with the right mm. know how? It doesn't matter if it's a specific mm. fundraising or marketing or any type of communication. You know, communication, culture, know how, and staff. That's that's yeah. that's what's uh, what what they are struggling, I think, most. Okay, but Jan, this is why uh, I mean, consultant uh, in in the Czech Republic, are there many consultants like you? They are they are sharing the know-how and 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 bringing these techniques and 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 saying what we just said. You now, look at the figures, look at the figures, and uh, is it is it structured now or is it new or how, how do you see it uh, evolving? That's an interesting question about uh, consultants in the Czech Republic because uh, we have we have a couple of organizations providing trainings uh, and, and uh, other similar products to the NGOs, but really consultants, uh, uh, not many of them. Many of our best consultants are working in their organizations and in their free time. They are providing their couple of hours per month. So it doesn't mean that they are consultants per professional, that it's their full-time uh, full time work. They are just a couple of them. And this is quite nice in period in the Czech Republic because we already started to be uh, uh, quite developed country in philanthropic questions in a couple of areas, but about the staffing and about the seniority of, of our our uh, non-profit, I don't think non-profit, but fundraising experts, especially in the, from the from the uh, individuals and corporates, we are still have a lack of these experts who are doing it not only as a you know uh, next thing when when I have a time, but that it's really their job. There are not many yeah. of them. I, I think not enough. In in Eastern Europe, uh, there's less consultant than in Western or, or Northern Europe. Uh, I mean, Charlotte in, in in Sweden, I guess there are many consultants uh, in fundraising, or is it also uh, not that developed? Not not that many actually. Um, there are a few, uh, but not uh, not as many as one could uh, yeah. could. Uh, think considering uh, the development of fundraising in sweden um so absolutely no that's that's interesting i haven't thought of that but okay okay mm-hmm. um okay well maybe let's talk about an, um, a last point of, of yeah, yeah. I'm, i'm sorry yeah. david because I, i have just one question uh and charlotte you know and they are really so 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 needed maybe not maybe it's more about also uh, supporting the uh, the NGOs in our, our countries mm. to share between them you know mm. so it's again mm. question of networking i don't want mm. to say that consultants are not <laughs> important they are but th- there is sometimes i think more about combination of consultants and just you know natural sharing know how be- directly between between the organizations and that's mm. actually why ifa mm. exists mm. Yeah, IFA is also there to, uh, like, say, to, to have a data hub uh, and to have this kind of of, of, uh, of figures and 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 to make people react on these figures and say, oh, like you say uh, many times, Charlotte, in my own country, how is it in this in my country? And but um, mm-hmm. it's also something you're trying to, you know, to to develop. Yeah, and and I would. Um... I would also stress that a report like the this one that we're talking about is helpful when we as IFA or if, you know, even for me in Sweden, if I want to say to politicians, this is what it looks like in Europe. Or if I want to say, you know, um, this and this is how we see it in Sweden, but look what it looks, you know, how they respond in other countries. I think, uh, and I really want to just uh, thank all of those that helped us and responded to a survey like this because we know there are tons of surveys and you get tired of it and you you know you don't want to take the time etc but but again I, i think every person that helps us with the survey <laughs> is very valuable because that's how we build knowledge uh together uh and and with that knowledge it's much more you know it's much easier to to have impact uh both I mean, both for EFA, but also for individual organizations or even individual staff members. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and you say, yeah, people who responded, uh, you, you, uh, it's a challenge to make people respond, as you say. It's uh, uh, difficult. And you, you, how many responses did you have? Uh, do you have this uh, in mind? Oh, I think there were about somewhere between around six, six, seven hundred, and that's what it's been over the these okay. three years. Uh, so, you know, you think about it's very few considering uh, that we're trying to reach out to all of Europe. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, it's enough <laughs> to, to still get a view. But uh, but uh, yes, absolutely. It's it's um, it's important to, to get people involved and to, to get them yeah. to respond. OK, may, maybe a, a last question. And then after we have to wrap up, uh, um, uh, same on, on the report, maybe on uh, on the donors or. Uh, relationship, uh, we can see it's it's improving, and I'm sure it will <clears throat> it will pay off in the longer term, <clears throat> or maybe on the digital side of uh, of fundraising. Um, mm -hmm. There are also some very interesting facts to to note. Uh, uh, who wants to say? Uh, uh, when one of these topics, for example, something they noted in the report that uh, they want to share. Um, I can start, and then Jan, please continue. I I thought. It's both interesting and a bit uh, worrying that uh, that digital and and how to say, I mean, of course it is hard. We come back to the lack of investments and lack of funds. That uh, it is hard for our sector to make large investments in really using the opportunities of digital technology or, or of the technology that would actually in the longer term increase the opportunities for for funding because you would be able to you know both have more knowledge about your donors and you would be able to build more appropriate offers to them so you would actually personalize you know how they can engage with your organization etc so i mean so of course it's not news we knew that that is yeah. difficult and that organizations maybe would like to do it but they're not doing it so that was one thought you know how 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 do we how do we get that to change how do we get organizations to feel comfortable again in investing um and the other thought i had which is maybe more related to our role as efa is uh, also the what, what would i say well the challenges in data protection and integrity issues that that's a very complex field and for many organizations and again you raised david that you know it's different if you're a big organization versus a small one that to be able to actually think you know handle all those issues um and and not only data protection but also um um oh what is it called data uh, well data is data issues generally i mean fraud it's so easy yeah. that you know you can be Uh, attacked as an organization, you know, all of those things that sort of have added <laughs> to the knowledge we need to have within organizations. I think that is something uh, worrying in a way, but also it gives us um, a, a good picture of where the, what do you say, the blank spots are for many organizations. Uh, and I thought the report was valuable in that respect from a you know a, a european level as well yeah yeah we know it's it's more and more technical and all these uh, data issues and these uh, uh, data leaks and uh, and uh, all the, i mean it becomes very quickly technical and and uh, of course mm -hmm. uh, even big organizations haven't got the, the staff in, uh, internally to to manage all this so let's not talk about small organization of course uh, so yeah. all this is a as you say uh, something that we know but it's difficult to tackle Uh, and the reports show it uh, show it very well. Okay, uh, yeah, Jan, same on maybe on. Uh, I mean, on retaining donors, uh, uh, is it something that is you think people are in, in what you see in organization are getting better at, at speaking to their own donors, or is it something that uh, you see increasing? We're getting better at this. Yeah. Uh I, I think retention is, uh, uh, you know, it's never ending, ever ending story, and I'm I'm really happy that uh, uh, 
it began it began with uh, with the COVID crisis uh, when everything was closed. The organization had a time for yes, improve their retention strategies and activities, and I'm I'm happy of that because you know it's much more cheaper to to have a retention than than to to all the time run acquisition and you are teaching it years and years but still it's a topic so yes increase retention activities and and do it better because it's not all the time about acquisition it's not only all the time to be at streets and and ask for new donors especially in in the way of digital channels you know they these donors uh many times don't have uh, you know this this physical experience with your organization what more it's important to retain and and to really make a, a strong retention program that's because of the importance of digital channels and our research research shows that digital channels are really important in the mixture of uh, of individual fundraising methods and there is crucial to to really make a retention to really make a smooth going telephone raising methods and all these stuff because you it's it's not so personal like the older methods but on the other hand it also shows us that maybe face to face is rising a little bit because i think the three years ago uh, um, it was the situation quite different and it was quite surprising for me that maybe some organ- some countries maybe in the Czech republic should try it again yeah, yeah. okay Okay, okay. Well, uh, it leaves us uh, <laughs> many perspectives and many things uh, interesting to do <clears throat> in the future. Okay, okay. Well, we we are coming to the end of this uh, this episode. Uh, thank you very much, Charlotte. Thank you very much, uh, Jan. Uh, well, as you know, the goal of the podcast is, is to share ideas uh, on, on fundraising among uh, Europeans and, and to show that you know, there are many things happening and and to create uh, conversations between uh, European fundraisers. So I think we. We did this today uh, uh, very well. Um, oh, by, by the way, you know, Charlotte, can you remind us you know, to participate to, do, to IFA? Uh, so we understand that it's, it's organizations uh, in, in every country who are, which are members, but, but you also provide a lot of resources uh, that uh, you know, individual people can, can come and consult. I mean, in, in, in 20 seconds, uh, if you have an appeal to make to, to the listeners, uh, what would you tell them? <laughs> what are you looking for? I would ask the listeners to sign up for the IFA newsletter, which you can do on the website. And I would also recommend you to, uh, at times, just visit the website because we do post news and uh, ideas and links and, and things there. And then, of course, I would recommend you to continue listening to this pod because thanks to you, David, we are able to actually get voices from across Europe, which I think is one of the valuable things for members of IFA members to uh, take part of. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's great to, you know, to have a mix of cultures and on the, on the, on the common topics, uh, see how people uh, see this differently. And, and that's why uh, you know, organizations like IFA are great. And I love to have people from different countries uh, <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, I find it very exciting. And okay, well, um, yes, it, it, it is. Um, okay, um, well, Charlotte and Jan, Thank you again uh, for your participation and I see you soon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Congratulations. You have listened to this episode of the European Fundraising Podcast until the end. Thank you for sharing this episode with at least two of your colleagues around you or just hijack their phone and subscribe yourself. If you want to be aware of new episodes, just uh, ask me as a friend on LinkedIn or you can also subscribe to our newsletter on our website. That's uh, fidelis-cc.fr slash EFA. I am David Kleshman and I will see you soon for the next episode. Congratulations, you have listened to this episode of the European Fundraising Podcast until the end. Thank you for sharing this episode with at least two of your colleagues around you or just hijack their phone and subscribe yourself. If you want to be aware of new episodes, 